we can get a doctor to look at it next week. Okay. Good evening, everybody, and good morning and good week to everybody that's listening to the podcast. We're in the month of October right now. It's getting nice and cool outside, but it, where it needs to be is it needs to be warm on the inside. Well, our sponsor is, of course, Anderson Heat and Air. Matt Anderson will specialize in making your air unit work the way that God intended it for it to work. You can call that today. Tony, if you can get me that number, I'm going to talk about what all that can do. He'll work on your commercial properties. He'll work on your home. He'll work on – it doesn't matter. Whatever you need, if, you, if the air doesn't work the way you want it to work, if you call Matt Anderson – he will hook you up. Tony, what's that number? 870-664-1967. Tell Brother Anderson that the conversation sent you. Brian, we also have somebody that's brand new this month. Let me tell you about the Drifted Drum Company. This company is awesome. She also has a book out that you can find on this website. Brian, the book is called No Mess, No Message. Let me tell you what that book is about. It's about finding strength and your struggle and purpose in your pain. Dr. April Jones writes this book and tells her story. It's heartwarming. It's heart-wrenching. There's emotion. There's fresh perspective. Anything that you need and you wonder about, it's in this book, Brian. She has went through so much in her, in her uh, story, and she's telling you all about it. But the Drifted Drum Company is a company that her and her son, Tyler, they came up with together. He's a cancer survivor, and he's an adaptive athlete. I'm, ju- I'm just going to leave it at that. Go get the book. Go get the book. And you can find that book at www.thedriftedrumcompany.com. Put in promo code CRUCIAL and get 10% off your order. Once again, that promo code is CRUCIAL at www.thedriftedrumcompany.com. We also have somebody else that's new this month, and I'm real excited about them. These guys here we like to call friends. It's Jonesboro Cycle and ATV. We're so glad that this segment has been brought to you by them. Uh, they're your full-line dealer for Can-Am, Kawasaki, CF Motor, Wave Warner, Hammerhead, Polaris. Pastors, you know what? You're tired of them guests walking out all that way up to your front door. Go get an easy-go golf cart from them. They've got first, second, third row golf carts. It don't matter what you need. They've got it. They are your one-stop shop for your unit, your parts, your service, and your riding gear. So whether you want to hit the blacktop, the dirt, the trails, or the open water, come by and see them today. Hey, you know what? They're going to greet you with a professional smile. And they're busy professionals. Check out everything on their online platforms. You can call them at 870-935-2887. You can find them on Facebook or jonesboroughcycle.com. Put in promo code CRUCIAL and get 10% off your order. The great President Abraham Lincoln said, for every great man, there's a great Italian dish. And Lazari Italian Oven has that great Italian dish for you. If you're listening right now, we want you to just go ahead and pause the podcast after we give you this phone number out. Go ahead and place your order to go. Go pick it up for lunch today. It is 1-870. Hold up. I got this thing. Hold on. I have it. Come on, Brian. How many times have we done this ad? I'm sorry. I had it on my phone. I started scrolling. Sorry, everybody. Let's pay attention. Focus back in. 870-931-4700. That number again is 870-931-4700. Let Mike and Paul know that the Crucial Conversation sent you. Go ahead and get you some, something nice to eat. Get you, you've got spaghetti. They've got pasta. meatballs. They've got every kind of Bro, pasta that you cheesecake. can want. That cheesecake. They, they, oh, my word. Don't even talk to me about cheesecake right now. I'm hungry. It's like 930 at night right now. I'm I'm ready to get something to eat. In fact, I might just need to go buy well, Wait, wait. Before you go, we got one more ad we need to read. And this, you know what? We're glad we're a new podcast. We got a new company to promote, Brian, right here in Jonesboro, Live Oak Real Estate. Okay? These guys are the real deal. 
Just because it's a new company doesn't mean it's new realtors. They know what they're doing. They're professionals. They're new here in Jonesboro. They're giving a fresh outlook on the whole real estate game. You can call Dustin, Rossi, any of the folks over there at, uh, at uh, Live Oak Real Estate and, and let them know the conversation sent you. That's 870-520-2522. That is Live Oak Real Estate, 870-520-2522. Guys, enjoy this episode. And one hour later, I woke up. I was pinned in my bed. I couldn't move. There was a weight of a man on top of me. I was pressed down into my bed. The spirit of fear was in my room. He had come to let me know. He had come to let me know that um, he had plans for my life and he wasn't going to give up on me easy. But in that moment, I realized exactly what it was. Revelation came over me. God allowed me to see it for what it was. And I began to speak to fear. I began to speak to that spirit that had plans for my life. And I could feel the peace of God flow into that room because God knew in that moment I chose Him. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to The Crucial Conversation Podcast. Tonight on The Crucial Conversation, we have Pastor John Eisen in Wynn, Arkansas, Calvary Apostolic Church. You're currently in a building program. You've got a lot of things going on, your hands in quite a different pots going on, you know, and you're a pretty busy guy, but we appreciate you sitting down with us, Pastor Eisen. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you guys and just excited to take some time to talk about life and talk about the Word. Awesome. So we're sitting in your office right now and mm-hmm. all around we have some cool things all around us right now. Yeah. I look to my right, I see Abe Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I look a little further over, I see a musket. I keep going around, I see a uh, a shovel with a hard hat. I see deer. I see every, a bear yeah, on the wall. Yeah, don't forget the bear. I mean, <laughs> whatever half, you do. Half a bear is hanging behind Brian right that, now. That's got to yeah. be intimidating. <laughs> yeah, come <laughs> in the pastor's hope. office and sit on that on that couch. <laughs> yeah. So you're a man of many trades, it looks like. But the coolest thing and one of the most purposeful thing that you have to have in this office is that shovel over there. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on here and when. So we, uh, when we first came, uh, the church had been in, in the current building for uh, 40 years. And uh, so we started casting vision, believing God for a new building. And uh, we got to that point probably four years ago or so where we, we needed the, the extra space. So uh, this past April, we broke ground on our new building. And uh, here just about, uh, I think it was about 12 weeks ago, Brother David Culberson out of Brother Shock's church, uh, he, he runs his own business. He, he turned dirt for us and did all of our, our dirt work. And uh, right now we're actually uh, putting up the red iron and they today are putting up some of the metal. And in just a few weeks, it'll be totally uh, closed in and we'll start getting to work on the inside of the building. Excited about wow, that. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. That That has got to be very exciting for as a pastor coming in and and being able to go to that next level. It is. And uh, so let me ask, if we back up, the beginning of your story, what is your background? Like, where, where are you from? Were you always in church? Did you come in church later in life? Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Sure. Um, so I was born in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, yes, I was uh, raised in church. 
I'm fourth generation uh, Pentecost on uh, my mother's side. And um, my dad's great grandmother was actually apostolic. And then her daughter got out of church, had received the baptism of, a, of the Holy Ghost, and then uh, married someone that wasn't in church. And, and so they, they went a different direction. And so for two generations, uh, there was no apostolic uh, belief in their life. And so uh, when my dad was born, uh, raised in Gravel Ridge, Arkansas, uh, there's, there's a pretty neat experience that he had. And, and I can tell you about that later if you'd like. But, but anyways, the, the long and short of it is, is that he received the Holy Ghost at the age of 15 at Gravel Ridge United Pentecostal Church. And uh, that's kind of where we're at today because of that experience. Um, I uh, received the Holy Ghost at 10 years old in a little city in North Rock suburb called Levy and uh, was born and raised in that church. And my pastor is uh, Richard Whittington. His father uh, was my pastor at that time, Howard Whittington. And uh, I was just excited to be in that church and uh, powerful, powerful experiences. It was a praying church, a word church, uh, a church that had a love for souls. And, and so I kind of inherited that as, as a young person. Uh, begin to pursue the call of God in my life. I received a call uh, to the ministry when I was um, 11 years old. I had a pretty neat experience. Uh, there was an evangelist that came through. His name was Kevin Borders, and uh, one of my favorite preachers. And he's an unknown, uh, but he is one of my favorite preachers. He's actually pastors in Norman, Oklahoma now. And uh, his son, Derek Borders, you probably heard of him. But anyways, uh, he had a tremendous impact on my life at 11 years old. I saw him preaching, and uh, we were in the middle of a revival service, and, and I was about three rows back. <laughs> and uh, in the middle of his message, I saw myself standing where he was standing. Wow. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, where he's standing, you're going to stand, and where he is, you'll be. And, and uh, so it was... 11 years old when I received that call and about five years old, uh, five years later, excuse me, uh, I stepped into that same pulpit and preached my, my first sermon. And um, it was just a powerful experience. And so that's kind of where it all started for me. Uh, from there, uh, my pastor has always been a strong supporter of my life and I want to give honor to him. And uh, I believe in honoring the men of God in your life, being loyal, being submitted. Amen. And um, that's kind of where it all started. So <laughs> every, everything that I am today, I, I owe to that man. And uh, just a wonderful church. And so when I was 19, I, I felt, felt the call to um, uh, progress into college-level learning. And, and so uh, I'd entertained uh, Bible school um, the year before I had, I had received a, a scholarship offer to the University of Arkansas. I was, uh, I was in the band. I was a band nerd. Loved it. What did you I play? Was, I was a tuba player, man. A tuba man. player. You can't get nerdier <laughs> than a tuba player. I was the guy with the sousaphone wrapped around his neck. Um, but I loved it, man. I loved it. And I, I had, had an opportunity to, to, to play with some dear friends in fact, one of my good friends, Anthony Powell, he went on to play at the University of Arkansas. And we just kind of, we competed all from seventh grade up through uh, 
12th grade. It was back and forth. He'd, he'd get first chair, then I'd battle back, challenge him. I'd get first chair from him and tick him off. But um, loved it. And uh, Kay Richards was our director, impacted our life, one of the people that really made a huge impact on me. And um, anyways, through her help, she connected me, and I had an offer to go. Um, something something uh, crucial happened. Uh, during all of that time, I know I, I know I kind of backtracked a little bit. I hope that's okay. Uh, but during that time, um, a, a man by the name of Nathan Dykus—I don't know if you know him or not. Nathan will never know <laughs> how much of an impact he made on my life when I was still in high school, battling all these things, decisions, direction for my life. Nathan. Uh, asked me if I want to go on a trip with him, and he took me uh, to Gateway. He was at Gateway, Urshan College during that time. And um, so I went up, I think it was a wedding we went to, and I went up for that, and um, it changed my life. And so at that point, I, I came back home knowing that I was supposed to get to that college. I didn't know how, when, uh, but I knew that that was my uh, destination for, for higher learning. And so um, graduated high school. I'm 19 years old. I'm seeking my pastor's advice. Um, and he, he advises me to stay home a year. He says, I, I, I want you to go, but I would like for you to stay home and, and, and take care of your basics, uh, get some of those out of the way. So I enrolled at Pulaski Tech College and uh, took some courses there and got a lot of my basics out of the way that first year. And I was so much ahead of the game because I listened to him. My friends were taking 18 hours when I got to St. Louis, and I was only having to take like 12. And so listening <laughs> to practical advice really pays off in the end. I want to ask you a question about when you said you were 11 years old, God spoke to you. Yes. And he said that where he's at, you will become. Did you ever have a hard time relaying that to somebody? Because the reason I ask that is... I was on the Illinois District Campground when I feel like God spoke to me for the first time. And I came home um, knowing that I'd been called into ministry. I just didn't know what. And on, I came home on a Saturday morning because the campground was so far away from home. But on that Sunday, I just couldn't wait to get to the altar because I was like, I want to hear that voice one more time. Yeah. I want to make sure that I, I got that correctly. And I, I can take you to the exact spot in the Cobden, Illinois church where I knelt down and I said, God, speak that to me one more time. So I know I'm not calling myself. And that never happened. I didn't feel like that was going to happen that day. But what happened was my dad came over to pray with me and you know, it's mom, mom and dad pray for you. We know that. But whenever dad feels what you feel, and you haven't relayed that to anybody, and he puts his arm around you and said, you got cold this week, didn't you? And Pastor Eisen, I was almost embarrassed because I didn't see it for myself at that time. Did you ever have a hard time relaying that with your pastor whenever you got called at the age of 11? So I, I received that call. I heard that. And it was such a real experience that I didn't question it. I know I was young, but it was so real. I knew exactly what was going on because my grandmother was probably one of the most powerful voices in my life. She was connected with the turn of the century revivals that swept across America. 
She was involved in the, in the Brush Harbor revivals. She built faith in me. It was, it was already resident in me, but that seed of faith was activated through her experience and sharing that with me. And uh, she, she would tell me stories like prayer meetings they would have. And so one of the things she loved to do before she got in church, they would square dance. <laughs> on, on Saturday nights, they would, they would go to certain people's homes in the community and they would move the furniture out of the main room and they would square dance. Somebody would bring a, a fiddle and they would, they would just jam and, and do their square dancing. And she said, after uh, the revival came through and swept through that community, she said there was no more square dancing, but now they would meet on Saturday evenings in people's homes, the same homes they square danced in, now they're having prayer meetings. Wow. And the way she described it, I know this is going to sound funny to a lot of people, but the way she described that prayer meeting, she said it was so heavy, the presence of God was so real in that room that she said there was actually a blue, blue haze. When she looked up from praying, there was a haze in the room. She said it was so thick, it was like so thick she could cut it with a knife. And uh, I've thought that so many times, and I've hungered for that so many times. And uh, so she built those things. And the first time I saw Blue Haze was at POA. I walked in at Bot, and uh, such a powerful atmosphere. And I looked out across the sanctuary, and there it was. Wow. <laughs> what I had hungered for all my life. And so the experience you're asking about, did I question it? I never questioned it. I knew it was real. And I know that some people, that's a very real thing, but not for me. And uh, so I, I, I did go to class a couple Sundays later, Sunday school class. And, and the, the director, he, he asked, or the teacher, he asked, he said, so what does everybody want to do when they grow up? And so he goes around the room, you know, the normal answer is I want to be a doctor, lawyer. Well, it gets to me. And I said, I want to be a preacher. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the pastor's grandson. I'm not any of that. My dad's not a pastor or none of that. I'm just, I, I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid in the church, but I knew God had spoken to me and they all started laughing. Well, I had a choice to make. Am I going to, <laughs> am I going to believe what they already, you know, have me locked in as they, they perceive me as whatever. And am I going to embrace that as who I am or am I going to make a choice? to obey and to receive God's call on my life as the real thing. And so I chose to do that at a very young age. And so after that time, I kind of held things close. But like you said, there were certain individuals that would pick up on the call of God. And, and so I just, from, from about 11 to probably 15, 16, I developed my relationship with God. I learned how to pray. There was a man, I, I'd received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but there's I described it to our church like this. Um, there's a flow that you can get into. And it's, it's kind of like speaking English. You try to have a conversation with someone who, who speaks broken English. It's very difficult. But you speak someone who, who can fluently speak English, and it's a beautiful thing. You can clearly understand them. So if you want to pray in the Spirit, you can do it broken, or you can do it fluently. But you've got to apply yourself. You've got to practice it. You've got to learn it. And if you'll do that, there'll be a flow opened up in your life Absolutely. that cannot be contained. I want to connect with you one last time on what you were just previously speaking about. You alluded to you being fourth generation Pentecostal. Same thing for me. Yeah. Um, I have such a rich heritage that I'm so proud of. 
I'll tell you a little bit about it. My dad currently pastors the church where my great-grandmother was the first one to receive the Holy Ghost and be baptized in Jesus' name. Wow. She was a part of the founding church in the church my dad currently pastors in. My mm -hmm. grandma is still in that church. My mom's in that church. Wow. My, my sister's daughter's in that church. And I want to ask you something. I About three or four months ago, I saw a video on Facebook of your wife recording your son riding his bicycle at the campground because that was for a purpose. Right. And I would like for you to speak about that purpose because I want to know what seeing your children and walking in truth and the gospel to, to, to carry on that fifth generation, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. It's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to me to think about the blessings and the favor of God on my life and to, uh, think about all he's done for me over the years. Um, there's a scripture and it's a prayer that I pray all the time, um, except the Lord build the house, the labor's in vain, except the Lord watch the city, the watchman rises in vain. And, and I'm always careful to tell God, even before I walk out of this office that we're sitting in right now, every service before I walk out of here, I say, God, you know, I can't do this on my own. I need you, I need your wisdom. I need your direction. Help me to be sensitive. Uh, Brother, Brother Thomas uh, invited us to preach probably when I had no business preaching there at Northside many years ago. He invited me to preach, and I'll never forget. Uh, we, we sat down at a, at a table with him after in, in his home, and uh, he, he started talking about prayer. And he said, there's two things that I've consistently prayed all of my life, and I've never forgotten this. He said, I, I ask God to give me wisdom, and I ask him to help me to be sensitive, give me sensitivity to flow in that wisdom and to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. And so that's a powerful thing. And I see that now on my children. I see that. Yeah, he was, Huntley was raising funds for, for SOC, I believe. And, and uh, man, to see my children have a passion for camps, have a passion for kids, uh, the Gates were with us last night, Dennis Gates, and, and Brother Gabby allowed him to, to come and, and help us with music the last couple of weeks, and he's been a blessing. But uh, his daughter, I believe her name's Aviana, mm -hmm. um, her and Livy, our, Olivia, our, our oldest daughter, connected. And, and the first thing she said when she got in the truck, I can't wait till camp next year because the two of us are we're going we're gonna to run the campgrounds. We're going to be all over that place on our bicycles. That's what it's all about. That's right. And um, let me tell you why I bring that up is because now that I have a daughter of my own, there's nothing that pulls on your heartstrings more yeah. than watching them observe. We didn't, when Olivia was born, Pastor, we didn't want to miss that first Sunday. We yeah. didn't We didn't want to miss Meredith being pregnant. We wanted Olivia to, to be in the church when she wasn't in the world. Right. We wanted her to hear our pastor's voice. We wanted her to be a part of everything. And I just, uh, as a father, I want to make sure that I'm doing what it takes to save my family, to yes. watch my daughter, because I have a responsibility now to what my great-grandmother started Absolutely. and that my grandma decided to carry on and what my mother decided to carry on and what I and my sister choose to carry on is now what I need to make sure Olivia carries on. That's right. Because this is the most important 
more than any job, more than any career, more than any knowledge or going to school and getting an education. Yeah, all that's important. All that's yeah. all that's vital. But there's nothing more important than making sure your family goes to heaven with you. And I, Absolutely. I, I admire that you and your wife you you push your kids you guys are always at the campground you guys always have something going on we've been here for multiple children's revivals and your kids are always up front worshiping that's so vital so important but i i just absolutely admire what you guys are doing and you 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 brought up huntley now he's got a cool name where does that name come from so one of my favorite preachers is wayne huntley and um it was Huntley was probably a couple months from being born, and my wife and I were at a loss uh, for what to name him, and um, I I didn't I didn't know I didn't know what to do. We were, we were trying to decide, and and uh, I went to revival. It was an anniversary service for Brother Melton. He's uh, I'm I'm closely connected to the Melton family. I love them, North Little Rock. They're Great some people. of my close friends, and uh, so I was going that night to be there, honor him. Uh, for all his years of ministry there at New Life, and and um, Brother Huntley was preaching, and he spoke about his grandson, and I guess I think it's his daughter that had mm-hmm. named, yes. if I'm correct, uh, named her son Huntley after obviously her dad, and uh, I said that's it right there. I said that's he's one of my favorite preachers, so why not? It makes sense, you know, and so that's that's how that. Came Have you out. ever told Brother Huntley that? Absolutely. What he's a funny that? story. So I took a picture. It was a couple of years after uh, Huntley was born. I was getting ready to go to because of the times. And uh, Huntley was in his pajamas. It was on a Saturday. He was starving. He was like, Dad, I really want a cheeseburger Happy Meal. So I ran. We were here when I ran over to McDonald's, got him a cheeseburger. And he's in his pajamas. Hair's a mess. Eating this cheeseburger. And I snapped a picture. Okay. Never thought another thing. I thought, oh, that's that's hilarious. So um, I'm going in the restroom of all places at Bot, and and I look over, and Brother Huntley is washing his hands. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, God, this is my chance. You know, this is a man of God. I, I want him to know. I may never have another opportunity to let him know that I named my son and how much I think of it. So I walk up to him, and, you know, he's so kind. He goes out of his way, and he said, hey, bud, uh, how you doing, man? I said, great. I said, Brother Huntley, I just want you to know how much I love you, honor you, and uh, I hope this is not weird for you, but I named my son (laughs) after you. And I said, here, let me show you a picture of him. Well, I thought I had some good pictures of him. I didn't. The only one I had (laughs) was the cheeseburger. (laughs) was him eating that cheeseburger in his pajamas. He was a mess on a Saturday morning, so... That's that's where the name came from. So you, you you've spoken about how your pastor made a big impact on you, and then obviously Wayne Huntley's ministry has had an impact on you. Who are some other of your favorite preachers, and and what is it about them in particular that draws you to their ministry? Sure, um, I really like as far as one of my favorite preachers. I love Jerry Jones. Uh, as far as forming a message, putting it together, you can tell he spent a lot of time. Uh, I, I love his structure. I love his content. Uh, so, so that's what I love about him. He's a powerful man of God. I mentioned Kevin Borders earlier. Powerful man. And, and when I think of Kevin Borders, I, I would, and he probably uh, would, would shake his head and say, I don't, I don't know. But, but I, 
I, I liken Kevin Borders to a Jerry Jones. He's a powerful man of God. He can craft a message just like that. And that's really what I love. Um, there's another man that's made a tremendous impact on my life. And a lot of people may not know him, but his name is Brent Brosom. <laughs> and um, we don't get to see each other as often as I would like. Um, but he will never know what an impact he's made on my life. So during the time I described to you earlier, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, uh, the 19-year-old uh, season of my life, uh, Brent Brosome came through North Little Rock and Priest Revival, really connected, took time for me, invested in me. And um, while, while I was at Bible school, uh, I had the honor of serving as uh, student body president for a couple of years there. And uh, one of as my last year, uh, the campus pastor, Brother Mark Blackburn, another man who had a tremendous impact in my life, still does, asked me who I would like to come uh, speak as kind of a almost a going away present, you know, for me. And and I said, Brent Brosome. There's no question, Brent Brosome. And uh, he's real, and and I, I appreciate that. And uh, so Stan Gleason is another one, anointed man of God, prophetic. And uh, and very very timely and and so those are those are a few. Uh, there's a picture if you look over there on the back of of a few men that I, I really love. Anthony Mangan is on there. That I think was taken in like 2001, and uh, that was at the end of that that first night service when he preaches his message, uh, his keynote message. And I was there with one one of my dear friends, Jean Guy Johnson, from uh, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, we were we were young, and all we wanted to do was get a picture with Brother Mangan. And so you you know you've been there first night I bought it's chaos. There's I can pull mine up right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's people everywhere, and so he gets done preaching, and you see them. They're making their their little exit out that side door. And I told John, I said, I said, let's go out the second set of doors, and maybe we can cut him off. And so we did, man. We raced to the back, and. Um, and uh, sure enough, man, about the time we walked out those back doors, there was Anthony Mangan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And John Gee, I, I, was, I was starstruck. I was speechless. You know, this is my first encounter with a man of God, you know, one of my favorite preachers. And, and uh, John's like, can we get, get our picture with you, Brother Mangan? And he's like, sure. And so he pulls us in close and he takes a picture with us. He was so kind. And then at the end of that, what you don't see in that picture is at the end of that, he then turned us around and put his hands on our foreheads, anointed us and started praying in the Holy Ghost over us and then brought us in close to him. And I'm going to tell you, something happened in me that night. And um, it was like fire flowing through me. And so I got Brian's pointing at me because I wanted to, he wants me to tell a story I want to tell you. Sure. So two, maybe three years ago, Arkansas camp, uh, Anthony Mangan preached. Yeah. And I was... I played the drums that night, and the cool thing about playing the drums at Arkansas Camp is behind the, the platform is a, a little meeting room where mm -hmm. the preachers go after they preach or before they preach, right. and there's some drinks and some sure. snacks and stuff. And I went up back. He just got done preaching about um, carrying on um, what the former generation make sure you carried on. Like we kind of talked about our kids already. Sure. And um, – I went back there in tears and I said, Brother Mangan, you have no idea who I am. I said, but you're one of my favorite preachers. And he said, stop right there, son. 
you're a pastor's kid, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, my God, I can feel it all over you. He said, call your dad. You know, he said, is your dad here? I said, no, he's in Illinois. He's like, call your dad. I said, it's 1030 at night. You know, he may not. He said, call your dad. I called my dad. He doesn't answer. I text him. I said, Dad, you need to answer the phone. It's very important. Somebody important needs to talk to you. And he said, that's okay. I'll do what I'm going to do anyway. And I went I went back there just to talk to him. And he lays his hand on yeah. my head. And he said, what your dad has been preaching for years is now going to be passed on to you through his passion and that's his powerful. burden. And he said, you're going to go win uh, when, when your generation, you're going to uh, just carry on what your dad had. He's just sure. speaking, pouring into my life. He gave me a great big hug and he said, don't forget it. Slap me in the back and walked off. <laughs> He's I, awesome. I'm telling He's you, awesome. he, he poured into my life when I went back yeah. to get a photo op. Right. Just like you were saying. So that was your moment with him. That was my moment. You may never get another one. That's right. But the one moment he had with you, he made it count. Right. And that's what's so powerful about him. He'll never know the impact he's made on an entire generation. Right. Uh, we're, we're, we're better for it. And right. I, I'm thankful for his voice. Of course, I haven't ever met him. I'm going to be called the times multiple times, but it gets on Tony's nerves because I'm always telling him, Hey, you need to book so-and-so for the podcast because I don't ever approach people because I'm always nervous <laughs> about them being like, having the awkward be like hey and they're like hi and then it's just like well now what, what do you want and so so, so and, then, and then i just kind of slink away and so I, I haven't met him but whenever i was because at times when you're on the last night it seems like he always makes a point i always set up in the balcony mm-hmm. and and he'll come through and he'll walk in front of all the people that are sitting in the balcony he waves to everybody and says hello to people and he got to be right in front of where i was at i was about five rows up back and this husband and wife came up to him and uh, and said, hey, Brother Mangan, shook his hand, told them where they were from. And I think I overheard them saying they were home missionaries. I don't remember where, but they were saying something about how they were in missions. And, and he was, you know, kind of talking to him. He prayed for him and he went to shake their hand goodbye. And whenever he did, he did it with his right hand that was facing towards me. And I noticed that he had pulled his hand out of his pocket and there was money in his hand as he reached out to shake their hand. And when they took his their hand, they kind of the husband kind of pulled back and said, Oh, brother Mangan, no, 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 no. And he took both hands, pulled them off, put them on his shoulders and pat him, said, yes, 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 yes. And turned and walked away from him. And I would just, you know, me as an observer watching that, seeing somebody in that moment when nobody's really, nobody's paying attention. It's our beginning of because of times everybody's talking to the people sitting beside him, but there in that moment for those people, there was that connection made. Sure. And so one thing that I think, can be gained from what we're talking about right now is to people out there that want to be in ministry, want to be evangelists, want to be pastors. If I, as a nobody, can admonish anyone that whenever some there's an opportunity to connect with somebody, to take that opportunity to make a difference. Whenever I came to this church, however, how many years ago do you think it was? At this church? Yes. Whenever we did that children's Oh, probably revival. seven, eight years ago. Yeah, it was a while back. I, I came here, I was young, eager to do something for God, and didn't know how to get started, and did this children's revival, and Pastor Eisen decided to to book us for another service, I think the following week. And I was like, well, hey, let's go door knocking. And so I, I approached Brother Eisen and asked about it, and they made up some little cards, and I went out, and I probably only knocked. 10 houses because I got kind of intimidated out in the town. But out of that, what happened was, Brother Eisen, you came and you, you talked to me and you're like, have you ever considered going to Bible college? 
And I was like, well, no, not really. And I've never had a conversation to this point with really anybody in ministry, really very much other than my pastors that I'd had talking about some of the things that I've been feeling. But for the first time, there was somebody that I connected to in that brief time that you in that moment made that difference for me because you said, if you pray about it and you decide to go and you gave me one of the, the men's number that would be uh, the person that I would have to contact to be booked. And you said, if you were willing to go, then you would f- help financially support in some way. And, and, and that blew me away that there was somebody who I was just at the time, a 19, 20 year old kid. If you said it was seven years ago, I'd had to be just about 20 years old. And, and you made that moment for me. And that's something that I personally, I will never forget, Brother Ison. And so I thank you for that, for being one of those first people that was willing to make that impression on me. Thank you. Thank you. I'd forgotten all about that. Thank you. Um, I was I was impacted several years ago uh, by my, my wife's uncle, and he shared this uh, idea with me that he has put into practice for many years of his pastorate, and it's called uh, Front Porch Pastoring. And so the idea is on Sunday mornings after you finish, uh, you you have someone else dismiss in prayer. And while they're doing that, the pastor shoots to the back and hopefully some of his staff catches the vision and they do the same. And while people are leaving, um, you're, you're, you're shaking hands, you're, you're, you're touching as many people as you can, and you may only get 10 seconds a week with them. But while they're in front of you for 10 seconds, you're making eye contact. You're truly listening to everything they say. They're the only thing that matters for that 15, 20, 30, three minutes, however long you get. They're the only thing that matters. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And um, like you said, a conversation seven, eight years ago, man, you never forget those things. What Mm -hmm. Brother Mangan did for us uh, several years ago. You don't forget those moments. So seize those moments. Take advantage. Be genuine. And and people will receive it. Yeah, my my favorite evangelist that's out there is is Frank Jordan. Absolutely. And that's because whenever he comes to our church, he he learned my name. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know whenever he preaches, there's not hardly a sermon he preaches in Jonesboro that at one point in his point, he's like, now Brother Tony or or Brother Brian or something. He always makes that reference to somebody because he's built those connections. And we can't go to Little Rock if we're doing a children's revival down there somewhere. Yeah. We can't go there without him. Hey, no, come stay at my house. That's awesome. You know, such a great man. But I want to ask you something that me and my dad had a little bit of a conversation about. We had Dr. Daniel Seagraves at our church this Sunday. Yes. My God, he blew me away. Yes. And my drive to my house is only about five minutes, but I made it about 35 minutes so I can dig in my dad's brain. (laughs) I I would love to get your perspective on this. We have, we've mentioned Brother Mangan already. Mm -hmm. I just mentioned Dr. Daniel Seagraves. We've got people like Paul Mooney, and we've got some of these elder gentlemen that's in their 70s and 80s that... You know, they were such load bearers in the United Pentecostal Church. They 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 drug across where we have paths to follow in. And it almost seems like it skipped a generation a little bit. Me and my dad was speaking about that, you know, there's there may not be quite that 
that next Anthony Mangan for a little while, but then you got people like Terry Shock and you got people, you know, that's that's fallen like a Jimmy Tony and you know, people that's really coming up sure, you know, after that generation. What do we have to do to make sure that there's a generation behind us that loves the truth? We've got to lead by example. We've got to share our experience with God, the true experiences we've had, um, and then encourage them to have their own experience. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt teach them diligently. So it's got to be rooted in the word, and then it's got to be connected with experience. He said, you got to talk of it when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It can't just be Wednesday, Sunday, but it's got to be a lifestyle. It's got to be in every fiber of your being. And um, I, I remember a message I heard Brother Stan Gleason preach many years ago. He said, um, our apostolic experience is only one generation away from ex extinction. And it's so true. I was in a church uh, probably five, six years ago uh, for an anniversary service, close friends of ours that had gone out of the organization and left their apostolic roots, walked away from truth. And um, I, I, I looked around that service and I could feel, I could feel God there and I could feel a level of worship and experience there, but there was something missing. And, and, and as I began to ask God what it was, He spoke and He said, what you feel right now is coming from the residual uh, anointing that is left over. And uh, if you remember, mm. uh, David's, David's offspring were honored for one generation. And, and then, and it was a residual anointing that, 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 that flowed in their life. And, and, and I've heard Raymond Woodward, Brother Raymond Woodward, talk so mildly about that. And um, so anyways, I believe that, that in that service, God spoke to me and said, now look around. So I looked at the elders and, and, and they, they understood how to tap in still, but the younger generation had been away from it for five or six years. So there was no impartation. It was just emptiness. It was shallowness. And all they, all they were doing was just going through the motions. And, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, as soon as these elders die off around here, and there was just a handful of them, he said, there will be no more depth. There'll be no, no more flow in this place and everything that they had will be gone and their children will never know all because of the choice they made to walk away. So I would encourage everyone to love truth, love truth, receive that love for the truth, encourage uh, the next generation to have that same powerful experience that you've had. So I want to follow up with this question and how do we convince that next generation of young people that this is real, that God is real? How do we convince them of that? The only way I know is to it, it kind of follows along the same line of thinking as, as my last response. But in an experience, it will confirm everything you need to know about God. During that time, I was 19 years old and I was, I was making some decisions. I had gotten into a relationship with, uh, with a girl that was an awesome girl, um, but it wasn't, I knew that it wasn't the right path for me. And um, so during that time, I was really seeking after God. God was dealing with me. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to break ties with her. And so I kept kind of holding on. And, um, and, and 
I, w- I would have times where I would let go and I would, I would pull to God. And then, you know, you forget what the chains feel like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you start hung after a little bit of, of, of being away from the world and those things that, that your flesh longs for, you forget. And so you go back to those things. And as soon as you go back and embrace them, you, the chains come back. And, and there's shame that comes along with that. Amen. And, um, and so I, I wrestled with that for several months until finally I realized that this was not for me. And I had one more opportunity to follow the call of God, the path that God had for my life. And, and it was, a, it was a, a Thursday night and it had been a long week and there were several spiritual things that happened, several direct words I'd received, things that were no coincidence that week. And it would take me a long time. I, I won't go into all that, but I will share this. It was a, it was a Thursday night, I believe, and uh, I'd gone to bed. I was 19 years old. My parents were leaving early uh, that morning. They were going on a trip to Tyler, Texas. Texas. It was 3 a.m. They woke me up and said, you know, we we hugged and kissed each other on the cheek. We 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 always did that, and and they told me we were leaving out, and so they did. And one hour later, I went back to sleep. And one hour later, I woke up and I was pinned in my bed. I couldn't move. There was a weight of a man on top of me. I was pressed down into my bed. The spirit of fear was in my room. He had come to let me know. He had come to let me know that um, he had plans for my life and he wasn't going to give up on me easy. But in that moment, I realized exactly what it was. Revelation came over me. God allowed me to see it for what it was. And I began to speak to fear. I began to speak to that spirit that had plans for my life. And I could feel the peace of God flow into that room because God knew in that moment I chose him. I chose him. And never again, I may mess up, I may fall, I may, I may make mistakes, but the course of my life is set. face set like a flint now. And what the enemy did is basically... <laughs> basically encouraged my faith in God that night because I knew that if the enemy knew enough to come, I've learned this throughout my years, that the enemy will always announce a promotion with God. And when he shows up, that means God's getting ready to do something in your life. So when next time you just watch, all hell starts breaking loose in your life, you just hold, just hold, just To all of our listeners that are listening in, obviously you just heard an audio cut. And this is one audio cut we're not going to change because it's significant because it is the second audio issue that we've had in the duration of this podcast. We've had other podcasts where we've had little glitches, but we've been able to go through them. This is the first time that we've encountered a a surge of, of whatever it is that caused us to have to stop and kind of rewire some things. And what is interesting is, as you just heard in the conversation, Brother Ison talked about how when the enemy shows up and announces, he announces a promotion. And so whenever that audio cut out, uh, Brother Pastor Ison leaned back and he said, oh, there he is. He took off his headphones, Brian, and he said, this isn't the first time this has happened. Yes. And he said, I felt it the first time. Yes. And so what we want to do now, because I feel like the events of tonight have, and I know I apologize to our listeners, this is kind of jarring where we were kind of going one way and now here we are. But I think it's important to talk about spiritual battles that we're going to face because right now 
where we're sitting right now, we're in a spiritual battle. That's right. Because the enemy doesn't want us to have conversations like this. That's right. That's right. Pastor Eisen, um, I warned you before I got in, what I, when we had that short break, that what I was about to tell you, the only people that know about this is my pastor and my wife. And um, I did tell my wife that I would eventually tell this on the podcast, but about six months, maybe eight months after I had gotten married, let me first before I go there, let me give you a little background on my wife. You know it, but for the listeners, I want to I want to take you back. My wife came out of a church where um, they had to leave that church due to they weren't holding the beliefs that my wife and her family thought were very valuable. Mm-hmm. And she came to another church that we're currently at now, and she rooted herself with the pastor, the youth pastor, the pastor's wife, and they became very, very close. And they had left. Um, then my wife's father passed away of cancer. And mind you, this is all in the, within the first six, eight months of my marriage that she's lost her pastor. She's losing her youth pastor. She lost her place that she had in the church. She's lost her father. I remember distinctively picking up my cell phone and calling my dad and say, Dad, I didn't sign up for this. This is a marriage that I don't know if we can make it through. Honestly, it was the hardest time that I, I don't think any newlywed should have to deal with. Right. And Pastor Eisen, I I had an emotional affair on my wife. I thought that, well, if my wife isn't going to listen to me and if she won't open up to me, and I can't tell her what's wrong, and she won't tell me what's wrong, that I'm going to find somebody who will. And I, I, I turned to someone of the opposite sex that took the time and listened to me. And little did I know that the enemy had me right where he wanted me. Yeah. And my wife and I, we went to our pastor. I could no longer live like that. Uh, We went to our pastor, got it out in the open, and I had struggled for years after that. The devil just kept reminding me, this is what you've done. Why in the world would you think that God's calling is still on your life? Why would you do this? You know better. But look, you were happier at that time. Weren't you not happier? So whenever attacks like this come upon you, you, you told us while I was trying to get all this stuff figured out again, you said, this isn't the first time. Right. This won't be the last time. It wakes you up in the middle of the night and you have to sit there and wonder if this is going to, if this is worth fighting. Right. Tell us about that. So I've learned that Satan is a uh, coward. He is an opportunist by nature. And so he will wait until you're vulnerable, either emotionally, physically, or spiritually. He'll wait for one of those platforms. And when he receives that, when he sees that in your life, you're weak in one of those areas, then he'll attack you in all three. He's a cluster attacker. He comes. He's a, he's a strategic genius. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so it's no accident. And so when that happens, it's very, very important 
that you see things for what they are. An enemy hath done this. The scripture says uh, a man goes out and he sows seed in the field and then um, his, his friends come back the next day and his, his servants in the field come back the next day taunting him. Did you sow bad seed? Who came in the night? No, he says, no, I didn't come out here and sow good seed and bad seed. He said, I sowed the good seed. But he said in the middle of the night, an enemy came and he sowed weeds among. He sowed bad seeds out there and the enemy's done that. You need to see exactly who it is. I've, I've learned that, that the enemy will attack us when we're vulnerable. And, and most attacks that manifest in our home are due to two things, two, two, two failures, one or the other, that, that are resident. It's, it's either a covering issue, which is linked to submission, or it's a door issue, okay? If you are not submitted to spiritual authority, it's like walking out into the rain, out into a thunderstorm with no umbrella, you're going to get soaked. You may have seen the video uh, that was going around on social media a couple weeks ago. Uh, there was a guy and his babies in the Jeep with, with the top off, and they were riding in a, in a, a rainstorm, and the, the, the babies in the back were getting soaked. They had hats on. They had all kinds of jackets and stuff, but they were still getting pounded, and that's how spiritual attack is. If you don't have a spiritual covering, and I'm talking about a pastor. I'm talking about a man of God that has absolute veto power in your life, then you are vulnerable to attack and the enemy knows it. And, and so if, if you're being attacked in the night, if you're being awakened with a spirit of fear, paralyzed, what I, what I was talking about earlier tonight, if any of these things are happening continually in your life, if he's attacking your children, your babies are waking up with nightmares, I'm telling you right now, it's either a submission issue, someone in your family is not submitted like they should be in their life, or they've opened doors. And what I mean by that is they've gotten into something they shouldn't be into. They've gotten into alcoholism or, or pornography or whatever it may be. They have opened a door, a window in the home, and it's given the enemy access. And he is taunting you. He's attacking you. And when he starts attacking you from that one angle, you better get ready because he's going to come from all angles he can. He's a strategic genius, and don't forget it. I'm going to let you step in the role of a counselor for somebody who is struggling with the same things I struggled with. And I, um, I was in a bad place in my life. Yeah. And my wife didn't deserve that. Yeah. She was already going through enough. Right. And I have since then, I, I could be driving down the road and let my mind go right back to that moment. Sure. And, uh, I can't seem still, almost yeah to forgive myself yeah you know it could be in i could be in a season of my life where i really feel like you know this is it for me yeah and all of a sudden the enemy reminds me yeah of the things that i went through right and you know i can i can say you know i'm not i'm not struggling with you know well at least i didn't go out and have a sexual affair or i didn't you know Tell her I would change. I'm still living one way and we didn't get a divorce. But what do you say to the people that they're hiding behind their smile and they're dying on the inside and they don't know if they're going to backslide tomorrow because they can't let that go? I would say you're not alone. <laughs> the enemy wants to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one 
in the entire world that's dealing with shame, guilt, mm -hmm. sin, whatever it may be. He, he wants to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one that's ever made that mistake when the reality is, is that we've all made mistakes and we'll make more. And that's part of the beautiful grace of God. It's sufficient for us no matter what season we're in. This, this kind of theme verse that, that's uh, been my anthem for the last year has been Micah. Uh, Micah is, is a powerful prophet. And he says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. So that's the number one principle the prophet learned. He said, I know that I'm going to fall walking with God. So I got to learn to get up. And even when other people want to keep me down, I know that God wants me to get back up. But then he says something powerful that we skip over or I do and did for years until this year I saw it. The second principle, he says, and when I sit in darkness, he said, the Lord will be my light. The prophet said that. The prophet said, there are moments of darkness, seasons of depression that come and go in my life. And he said, I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm isolated. Seems like all the voices that should be speaking are silent right now. But he says, I've learned in the middle of darkness when I can't find my way to let the Lord be my light and trust him in that hour. So remember, you're not alone. Reach out for help. If you've got a man of God, a woman of God in your life, they love you. They are not going to judge you. They are not going to hold you, hold anything against you. I, I tell you, these people that, that I, I serve and I love here in Wynn, Arkansas, I know their cycles. God called me. I'm their pastor. I'm their shepherd. I know their patterns. I've been watching them for almost a decade now. I know when they're doing really, really good. I know, I know what most of them struggle with. I, I can tell. I can see it on them. I can see how the enemy beats them up. I know when they've made some mistakes. And, and what I, if, if I could say anything to them and to all of those out there listening tonight about your pastor, I want you to know that no matter where you are and what season you're going through or how many times you've made this mistake, your pastor is not judging you. He is not thinking less of you. He loves you. Your pastor's wife loves you. She honors you. She wants to help you and be there for you no matter how many times you fall. So reach out for help. Reach out for help. The, the open door, uh, I, I, if we can talk just for a brief moment on that. I was, whenever I was getting my uh, local license, uh, Nathan Scoggins was doing the ministry training class. And he talked about um, the importance of kind of guarding yourself because, as you well know, there are things that can happen in life where you open yourselves up to certain things. Right. And so, to what Tony was talking about, uh, where there was an individual that there was an emotional affair with, he talked about how for every man, there is a woman. And what he made reference to is for every man of God, there is a woman that would seek to destroy what God's trying to do in your life. And he told the story of how a lady invited him over to his house during a storm because she was afraid. And so he turned to his wife and said, let's go. And so his wife rides with him. Well, he shows up on the front porch, knocks on the door. And when they open the door, the lady is fully unclothed. Because for every man, there was a woman. There are things in life, and I don't know all the answers. Obviously, I've never been in a pastoral role or a very advanced ministry role. 
But what is the importance, Pastor, that you would say of having somebody that again it goes back to I'm surely with the the past you know when you talk about the pastoral leadership having somebody in your life that can hold you accountable to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you've stepped into a door that you didn't even realize it was open to begin with. You just thought it was a wide open space and didn't realize that there was really, Absolutely. there was someone out to get you and you didn't realize that this is, you know, that you had walked through that door. Right. So I, obviously we talked about submission, spiritual authority, covering, um, and my pastor is that for me. But alongside those, that wonderful man of God, I've got other men that are safeguards for me, voices that speak. Uh, They can ask me questions if they want. Um, I I, I have seasons where I'm I'm, I'm in touch with them. I do really good. And then there there are seasons when we're super busy and I don't get to talk with them, chat with them as much as we should. But you've got to have those voices. I'll tell you what I've done for my boys. Um, I have at a young age, strategically and intentionally placed men of God in their life, men like Kenneth O'Connell, men like Chantry Dean, men like Luke Levine, men like I can go on naming, the the, the list goes on and on, Stephen Sanford, uh, Paul Price. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, we were, we were in Branson just last week, and uh, we were at Silver Dollar City. That's one of the things our family loves to do. And I didn't know it, but the prices were there, Paul. And he had hooked up with my kids, and for two hours, I didn't even know it, but Paul was riding roller coasters with my boys. He didn't have to do that. But he loves my sons, and he gets investing in the future generation. Here's what I know. There will come a time, like you said, for every man there's a woman, for every woman there, there is a path or a, a place of temptation that you're vulnerable. We never know when that's going to come into our life, when, when we're going to be faced. But I know that at some point, my boys may not be able to hear me. They may not be able to hear me. That's why I strategically placed these other men in their life to be a voice in their in their life so that in that moment when they can't hear me, maybe they'll hear one of them. I can send one of them. And so I, I would encourage you guys to do that with your children and 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 do do it well. Be careful because there's life and death in the tongue. And and so you be careful who you surround yourself with. And negativity and all that mess. We, we don't have time for that. Um, Got to be positive. Pastor Eisen, you have been at Calvary here for how long? Almost nine years. Next month, it'll be nine years. Was this your fas- first pastoral role here at this church? It was. I, I served as an assistant pastor in, in North Little Rock for about seven years, and, and then we we came here yes so you're a younger guy um Mm -hmm. how old were you when you were elected pastor here i was 30 30 yeah wow that's me next year that's (laughs) yikes um so everybody at home is doing the math right now to find out how old you are (laughs) uh so if they can't figure that out we that's that's insane but when you were elected pastor at 30 what was it like pastoring people of an older generation was did it almost seem intimidating so i was privileged to come in um to an established church um that that was pastored by brother and sister tg ramsey they've been here for 40 years 
And uh, there was another pastor, uh, one of my good friends, his name is Joseph Roberts. He was here for about a year and the church loves him, loves him still. We honor them. Uh, But it it just the the timing of that transition uh, wasn't right. And so um, when when I was voted in as pastor, I came and, um, you know, Paul said, I watered, Apollos planted, God gave the increase. So how I look at transition in a church is that I didn't necessarily look and say there's a ton of things being being done wrong. I didn't see that. What I did see is that the man of God who had been here for a long time laid a phenomenal foundation. Now it's time to shift gears and I need to start building some framework. And uh, every once in a while, I need to check that foundation, make sure there's no cracks and things like that. Um, but as far as being intimidated uh, when I arrived, I knew God had called me for this. I knew I was supposed to be a shepherd. And I've always prayed that prayer, Lord, you've got to build this house. And so I knew He was the true shepherd. And I was here on divine order from Him. And so, you know, I, don't, I wasn't intimidated. There were, there were some things I was concerned about. I think we all have our insecurities. We'd be lying to say we don't. Uh, and I have my fair share. But I try not to give them place because they will consume you um, if you do that. So give them to God and don't let your, your insecurities consume you. Um, this is a wonderful group of people. They loved me. They honored me. I was young. Yeah, I probably made some mistakes. Um, I, I don't know that I made any massive mistakes, um, but we have together moved forward over the, over the last nine years. And so when I came, I, I saw that there were some things that needed to be addressed and taken care of. And, and um, the, the, the Lord really dealt with me on um, Christian living godly living, uh, holiness. Um, you know, that's almost hard to believe now because we've had the privilege, like Brian said earlier, of coming down and um, being with you guys in different revivals and different services. And I just want to make a plug for your church right now that I can't speak for Brian, but I've never came to this church where I didn't feel like family. Yeah, and I didn't look around and see holiness. Yeah. And I didn't look around and you said God was dealing you with Christian living. There was never a doubt in my mind. Right. So when God dealt with you, you must have you must have put the put the rubber to the road there. Right. Well, when when I came, it's not that there was this massive departure. There was just a lot of questioning. What do I believe? Why are we doing this? And so we just kind of got back to the grassroots, started digging into the fundamentals of what we believe. And I'll tell you what what the Lord spoke to me. Um, I needed to have some some strategic men of God who were very capable of teaching the Word of the Lord come, and I was going to try to come come behind them. Um, mind you, this is my first pastorate. I've never addressed things like these, these subjects, which seem... Um, massive and and you feel almost incapable and and not enough to 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 so accomplish what you're saying is you felt like you came to an established church that had this already figured out yes but some of them were questioning 
what we actually believe. And so what happened is, is, is I, I pulled him in like Brother Tim Gaddy. And I, I had Brother Raymond Woodward come. And strategic men, about, about every, I would say, 18 months, Brother Gaddy came. And then about 18 months later, I had Brother Raymond Woodward come. And then about 18 months after that, I had Brother Gaddy come. And then in between that, I'm, I'm reinforcing everything they're teaching. And uh, we're approaching, approaching with kindness and gentleness. And uh, we're not hammering away. We're not beating people up. But we're approaching this as a very fragile situation. And um, so that's, and I'll tell you, God began healing healing and restoration and revelation took place during those years. And and now what you have seen and what you've described in, in, in just the last few moments is, is a result of their labor and uh, the releasing of the fivefold ministry in our church. Not just the teacher, but the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. And uh, these men of God who I have intentionally connected with and strategically scheduled them to come as needed and as God-led um, has helped us to get to where we are today. I respect you so much for, ta- for, do- for taking the time to bring those men into a church because when you're... 30 years old, you're supposed to walk in and and be totally fine with whatever's going on. Kind of that, that, that anything, you know, a very, what we would call amongst apostolic ranks, a very charismatic, very um, liberal, very, yeah, I, I don't know how to approach it in the, the kindest way possible. But so many that are... What he's saying is we shouldn't, as a young man of 30 years old, you shouldn't have to care about that. That's not the cool thing to care about. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, but you saw that it was important. Yeah, and and let me be very clear: the core that was here, they were solid. So, so there was no issue. But but the fringe people had had caused some questioning even within the core, and and so I, I felt some some reinforcement was necessary during that time. And so I don't want to lead you guys to think that you know it it was all lost and we were an no, inch no, away no. from uh, yeah. being wiped off the map. It, it was a good situation and we're blessed. Well, like I said, I was just saying that it seems like there's a lot of people out there that try and move the church more towards the fringe sure. than towards the core. Absolutely. And, uh, and so what, what are some of the spiritual applications and importance of maintaining a, a stance on holiness, both inward and outward? You're going to be challenged not necessarily by what you see with your physical eye, but what you don't see. I'll never forget, um, I had just been elected pastor. It was a very special time. I was in church on a Sunday night in North Little Rock listening to my pastor preach, and and uh, someone pulled me out to the side. They were actually having the vote here and win that night. And so I was. I just led service, and, and my pastor had come up to read his text, and and someone stepped in and pulled me out, and I went into my office, and it was a really, really special time. Um, my wife was in there, and my dad was in there. And... Um, and brother, brother Anderson said, um, they've chosen to elect you as pastor, and it was unanimous. And um, so I went in, and I was just overwhelmed by the call of God and, um, and just thankful that God was with me. And uh, we all three knelt together. My office was like, 
I don't know, it was probably like eight by eight, maybe, maybe. It was some uh, a couple built-in desk and, and a, a little chair there. And we knelt down and, and uh, prayed together. And after that, I... I uh, went home and and uh, I was walking through in our in our in our kitchen area. We had some open windows and and it was late at night. I believe it was around that same night. And uh, I'd gotten a drink of water and I was heading back to my room. And all this, the sudden, I had this overwhelming feeling like I was being watched. It was really weird. And um, and 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 I looked around. I turned the lights on outside and and, and I went back to my room and I kept feeling that. And um, the Lord spoke to me how he speaks to me. And um, he said, it's the prince of the city of Wynn. He's come to check you out Cross County. He's come to check you out. And um, I could feel it. It was it was a feeling unlike anything I've ever experienced. Now, I've experienced fear. I've had some other encounters, but nothing as intimidating as that night. And. Um, so I'm trying to get to your question. So we start um, trying to approach uh, the fundamentals and and can I interject real quick? Absolutely, and, and ask you. Do you I know like a, I've heard of different folks. They talk about how they encountered the spirits over certain cities. Uh, for instance, there was sure. a, an evangelist that drove through Jonesboro one time, and he, no, I'll never forget and, this. And he he said that as he was driving through Jonesboro, he felt like a spirit entered the vehicle with him. And whenever it did, he asked, it said, who are you? And the spirit said, I'm the spirit of Jonesboro and I'm the spirit of homosexuality. Yeah. And do you know whenever that spirit was, what? do you know kind of, I guess, what the spirit's name is? Or is it just a combination of multiple different spiritual different identities? identities? Uh, the Lord will reveal those things to you if you seek seek Him, and then there's times where it's not necessary. Right. Res, resist the devil, and he'll flee. One of those things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the enemy just wants to irritate you, and as you grow in God, mature in the the, the Spirit, you you learn to address that which needs to be addressed and then resist that which needs to be resisted. If you go looking for a devil in the light switch, you'll find one. You'll find it. You'll find one. Absolutely. That's why the world is is so enamored by paranormal activity. They're they're into ghost hunting uh, shows and movies. But you movies. know what, Pastor Eisen? Here's the thing. We look for these spirits when we don't realize what we're doing in our everyday life. There's things attached to it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, music, TV shows, movies. You don't have to go looking for it. They'll find you with what you're allowing into your life. Very careful. you yeah. got to be very, very careful. That's what I was talking about a while ago, uh, a covering issue or a door issue. You open those doors right. and, and they'll walk right in. So you got to be very careful. Yeah. So so when you begin to address uh, uh, important issues in the church as pastor, just just know that the enemy is not going to stand by idly. He is going to try to challenge you in every way, which means that he may use distraction. He may use financial crisis. He may use uh, spiritual um, oppression against you. And in my case, that's what he did. Um, after some time, he revealed to me it was the spirit of Jezebel. And um, a lot of times, uh, the spirit of Jezebel will manifest itself uh, in in ladies, but not all the time. Sometimes it'll manifest in men. So you have to be very, very careful and and know that. Um, 
the way you know the spirit of Jezebel works in, in, in several different ways. It starts out with flattery. Come in and it'll try to flatter you, try to win you over, try to get you on its side. And then after it, it, it's done flattering you, if they see it's not working, it'll try to emotionally manipulate you and try to get you to do things and uh, try to get buddy-buddy with you and want you to confide and all these things. And then when you, you throw the wall up against the buddy-buddy and emotional manipulation thing, then they'll, they'll try to assassinate your character to other people, not only in the church, but in the city, they'll drive to people's house in your congregation. They'll talk to them in the restaurants. They'll they'll meet them in the grocery store. They'll catch them out on the lake. They'll pull up beside them on a but They'll do whatever they got to do to try to assassinate the man of God and what he's trying to do. He wants to discredit that. And then what happens is when the man of God rises up and the church begins to call out these spirits that are manifest, that spirit or whoever's manifesting that spirit in the church will roll over and play the victim every single time. Then it'll go dormant. It'll go dormant for a while. And then after a while, it'll wake back up and it'll start all over again with flattery, emotional manipulation, assassination of character, roll over, play the victim. That's how you know the spirit of Jezebel. And so we went through a time where I was dealing with that and uh, we dealt with it. The Lord, through His grace, allowed us to maneuver that with wisdom and only through the Lord's wisdom. And, and God has placed some people in my life that were able to tell me and help me to do the right things. And, uh, Can I ask you absolutely. something? I promise you I'd never throw you a gotcha question, and I, this is not my intention to do this. I feel like this could help somebody. You are pastoring this church whenever that spirit represented itself. Has that spirit ever tried to attack you or your family since you were head of this pastoralship? Yes. You remember what Jezebel told the prophet. She sent a messenger, said, you're going to die. And there was a night where I had been sick for a solid month. I didn't know what was going on. It was January, probably about four years ago. I'd been sick for a solid month. I woke up every single day feeling like I was going to die. And... I didn't know what was going on. I went to the doctor several times. I couldn't figure it out. I, got, I, I was prayed for. It, it was just like this ongoing sickness. I've never been. I'm, I'm healthy, man. I've never been through anything like this before. It's a solid month of this. Finally, I go in and, and my doctor finds after all of these weeks, man, you've got walking pneumonia. You're, you're sick. And um, so I go home. I'm on these antibiotics, powerful antibiotics. And... Um, and it's on a, on a Friday night, <laughs> and um, I have this pain starting in my neck. Now, I already think I'm going to die with this other stuff, and I've got this pain starting in my neck, and all of a sudden, these feelings start coming over me, voices speaking in my mind. Now, I'm not hearing crazy voices or anything, but these emotions and feelings I am, I am hearing saying, you're going to die. You need to prepare. You need to just... I was asking my wife, are we good? You know, make sure my life insurance policy is up to date. Everything's taken care of because I really feel like something something bad is going to happen to me. And um, so 
I, I, I lay there for about an hour and that pain starts working its way from my neck all the way down my arm. I think I'm having a heart attack. I don't know what's going on. I get up, I'm pacing anxiety. Like I've never experienced anxiety like this before, ever, never again. I'm walking, pacing the house. I'm, I'm, I'm panicking. And my wife, I'm just being honest. I hope this is what you want. And my wife is looking at me, telling me, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And um, she prays for me, and the pain goes away. And the next day, we had a dinner uh, planned with Brother Landon and Sister Carrie Davis from Mariana, which is the next county over from us, good friends of ours. We were, we were meeting in Memphis, and when we got there, I start telling him what happened to me the last night. And he said, John, he said, just a few hours before you started having that pain, he said, I had been laying in my chair all day with the same exact pain, thinking I was about to die. Well, I called a man who's a voice in my life, Brother Scott Shelton. I called him, and he began to, to help me pinpoint it. He said, it's the spirit of Jezebel. And uh, he said, it's just intimidation. He said, you, you're, you're, about to, you're about to have some great success. You're going to move forward. The church is going to be elevated. And he says, once you move forward past this, um, he said, you know, don't be surprised if it tries to come again, tries to pop up again somewhere else. But he said, it won't ever have the authority that it has right now because you're going to overcome it. And so I did. He said, there'll be a time where you'll speak to it and you'll call it out and you'll take authority and dominion over it. Well, that Saturday night I came back home and we do, we do Saturday night prayer leading into Sunday morning. So kind of what some of our men do here at the church, and it's just totally changed our Sunday, Sunday services. It's about 8.39, somewhere in there. We'll meet back here at the church maybe 5, 10, 15 of our men, and we'll pray until the Lord's done. And um, so I did that. Well, that night I was by myself. <laughs> Never by myself. There's always somebody with me. And so I'm standing in the pulpit, and the, and, and the Lord just speaks to me now. You stand behind that pulpit, and you call it out, and you take authority and dominion over it. And that's exactly what I did. And from that moment on, I could feel it when, it, when there was a release. And uh, there was a shift in the atmosphere that very next day. It was, I, I'm, I'm talking about dynamic in church. Uh, there was a flow like I had never felt before. Well, that Sunday night, wonderful day. Sunday night, I got home, went to bed, and uh, in the middle of the night, I woke up. Now, I've been here at this point that I'm telling you about. I've probably been here six years or so at that point maybe five, five, six years. And at this point, I feel it in my room. I hadn't felt it in several years. But it was the spirit that came that night before I ever left North Little Rock to look at, to evaluate me, see what I was all about. It was the prince, the prince of this region. And uh, he came, and he was there in my room that night. And the only way I know to describe it is, is, is almost almost kingly because he can he can manifest himself as an angel of light 
as he wants to. And he wanted me to feel intimidated. The problem is, is that long ago when I was 19 years old, he tried that before and it didn't work. In fact, it backfired on him because my faith in God skyrocketed. And I knew, <laughs> I knew that if he was scared enough that he had to show up in my room to try to intimidate me, then we had already successfully defeated him. The Lord has given us power. He's given us authority over that. There'll be other battles to face in the future, but that was one that, that I'll never forget. Pastor, let me ask you this then. If we've been given that power and that authority, just as you said, why don't we use it more? God told Hosea, He said, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. I think we, in the back of our minds sometimes, don't really want to face reality. What we see with our natural eye is not the real world. <laughs> what you cannot see is the real world. And I think that we spend most of our Christian walk with the Lord living in denial of what really is and what really can be, what we can be. You are spiritual giants. You can be powerful. You have to wake up and realize the authority and the dominion that God has given. He turns to you and says, greater works than these shall you do. All the things that I've done, I've given that power to you, and you're going to do greater things than I ever thought about being or doing. Well, there was two Sunday mornings ago, our pastor has decided to do something that I thought was stupid. I thought it was crazy. And I voiced that opinion to a couple people. Surely not like that. <laughs> I, I, I asked pastor if he was crazy. But let me tell you what he did. On the first Sunday morning of the month, we have a ministry development. And he invited about 20 of us. And maybe eight of us showed up because it was at 7 a.m. Yeah. And I didn't realize I was too spiritual to realize that pastor was asking me to sacrifice. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was dreading it going in. I was saying, this is my day off. Why would I get up earlier now to go to church than I do to go to work? I'm going to be here at 7 a.m. Music practice is at 8.30 a.m. We'll got to get out of here about uh, 12.45, 1 o'clock. Then I got to be back up here for 4 o'clock music practice. I really don't want to do this, but because pastors asked me to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And in that class, Pastor Eisen, I didn't realize how much I love our truth. Yeah. We're going over right now... Um, Brother Bernard's literature. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's difficult to read. And yes, we don't all understand it. But we have to have a love for the truth. Yes. And we le I left that meeting and I texted Brian. Brian was out of town. And I said, man, do whatever you got to do to make that next one. Because Brian, I'm going to throw you under the bus. You were the same way I was. Not wanting to get up there at 7 a.m. You know, that's, that's, that's early. Sure. And... I said, Brian, you got to make it to this next one. I went to our assistant pastor's office. Our youth pastor was in there, uh, a couple other people that was in that class. And I, I, I was just sitting there and I closed the door because I was almost embarrassed. 
Hmm. But I told him, I said, you know, I've been raised in this. I, I know it. I know how to how to how to dress, how to act, how to fool people. But I don't know if I've ever fully developed a love for it. Right. And whenever you were speaking and you said that it's knowledge that we've got to have, that we know that we're given this authority and we know that we, we can use it when we need to. I, I just want to encourage somebody to fall in love yes. with the truth. Amen. Because the truth, I mean, it's so cliche to say that the truth will set you free, but that is just, that's a true statement. Absolutely. This, what we live in and what God has given us revelation to through through men like Brother Bernard yes. and you know, to give us a better, deeper understanding is so vital and so important for mm -hmm. the generations that's coming behind us and for us to understand it and love it for ourselves. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and with, to his point about that, that meeting is even though I wasn't there, hearing the feedback from it made me dive in deeper as well. And when you our Sunday morning after that, like you said, on your Saturday nights, our Sunday morning was dynamic after yeah. all those men was in that room together, just digesting God's word. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Brian. When you are truly in love and passionate about something, Absolutely. people can tell. Absolutely. And like I said, even though I didn't want to have to get up, set my alarm at six o'clock to get ready to go up there and then have to sit and wait until service started. Whenever I heard the feedback from not just you, there were others in that meeting that I called just to find out what all was discussed. That, it, it it reignited a passion in the, some some of them are very passionate have always been very passionate but some that I talked to they were talking about it and you could tell that it was just like the, the the light came back on yeah and I my candle was lit off that flame that was ignited in another and so <laughs> and I, Brian and, came it, back into my office uh, a couple of days later and. I, we came in together. This wasn't set up, but in my office, Brian looked. He's like, "Man, apparently that did reignite your flame because I had a Dr. David Norris book open with the Tale of Three Kings open with my Bible open. Right. I'm trying to just let it all soak in, you know, because when you fall in love with it, it's 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 a relationship that you build. That's right, and that's where where you get that knowledge and you get that authority and you get that power. Yes, and sometimes we're so intimidated to use it. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to get to that place in my life where my pride outshines my passion. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. If you're passionate about the Chicago Cubs, you'll talk about them. <laughs> if you're passionate about the Cardinals, you'll talk about them. If you're passionate about cars, you'll talk about That's it. That's right. If you're passionate about your job, you'll talk about it. If you're passionate about Jesus, we need to talk about you'll it. You'll talk, talk about, about it. it. That's right. Amen. And so, to get back kind of on track, even though I don't think we've gone off track, I think that, that everything we've said is, is very pertinent, very important. Um, actually, you know, let me go back for a moment to when you were talked about the spirit and overcoming it, because I was sitting over here thinking, because uh, I don't want anyone to in any way feel like this part of the conversation did not affect you. Because when we've talked about it, the spiritual attacks, there's a lot of listeners out there that obviously are not pastors and would not even consider themselves ministers, even if they obviously do serve in some capacity of the church. 
I don't want anyone out there that's listening to think because we've talked about the spirit of Jezebel and how that is a spirit that tends to afflict prophets and ministers that you don't encounter those same types of spirits and that you don't also wrestle with those kinds of spirits. They may have different names. They may have different methods of getting to you, but it does not mean that the thing you're facing, what you think it's, you may think it's just something that you're kind of dealing with, a little bit of fear here and there, a little depression here and there, but there are spirits, excuse me, that are attached to that. And we want everyone out there to know that there is a way to get overcome that. And it is through the power of the Holy Ghost Amen. that enters into your life, that through prayer and through relationship with God, you can have the authority over whenever those emotions rise up in you, that you can say, get thee behind me, Satan. Amen. And that you can have victory over the lies of the enemy, the oppression of the enemy, the spiritual attack of the enemy. And it's not something that's just for the preachers. It's right. for every person listening to this podcast Amen. that's got breath entering your lungs. That when you have been born again of water and spirit, you can overcome the affliction of the enemy. Whatever it is, you can overcome, not alone, but through God. And being connected to a man of God, to a church, because there are times we've talked about in the podcast that you don't even know what to pray. You have no idea what to call out. You have no idea what to rebuke. But there's somebody in your life. Uh, Pastor, you talked about how, how you got in contact with, with uh, Brother Shelton. There are people that are in your life. If you're connected to a church, that will enter in your life. They will help you pray for the things that you don't even know what to pray for. But Amen. <clears throat> when you came in, where we got started on this conversation was we talked about what are the, some of the things that you saw that needed to be changed and implemented in the church. You did talk about some of the practical ways that you changed. But I wanted to ask you this. Whenever you looked at different things in the church, I'm sure there were different things that you, you thought maybe they weren't doing it wrong, but you felt like there were things they could do better. Did you implement change in this church in a radical way or in an inch-by-inch way? So there were some things that people want to change in. And in those ways, we change pretty quickly. Uh, in other ways, we change very slowly. Uh, again, I think, it's, I think it's the wisdom of God you have to use. It's going back to that prayer that Brother Thomas taught us, uh, you know, asking for wisdom and sensitivity to God's Spirit in everything you do. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, things like, changing times on Sunday morning service. They were cool with that. So uh, I wanted to implement more Bible teaching. And so uh, up until that point, it had always just been one service. And when we would arrive, uh, the adults would go in the sanctuary, the kids would go to their class, and then everybody come out, and it was over. That was it. Well, now uh, we, we were able to start rather quickly um, having uh, Sunday school at 9 or, or 10 o'clock, and then at 10.30, 10 10.40, uh, we transition into worship. So we've got two sessions, and, and it's just been a great change. That was something that there was really no opposition you know, with, and, and that was an easy change. So there's been s several things we've done like that. There are other things like prayer. 
people weren't comfortable. You're pushing them out of their comfort zone. Uh, they're not used to getting here early for pre-service prayer. They're, they're, they're not used to um, coming on Saturday nights for prayer. They're not used to being here on Monday nights uh, for family prayer. That, that's been their time. They've been able to do whatever they wanted to do. So the only way that I can start doing those things is to say, hey, here it is. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do this whether you're here or not. There were several pre-service prayer times, sessions where it was me and my family by myself. And then one or two may trickle in and trickle out. But as the months pass and the years go by, we, we begin to gain steam and momentum. And now we're forced to be reckoned with through prayer. Uh, we're, we're bold and... Um, Whatever. I've, I've heard it said when it comes to prayer, uh, I think it's actually Bishop Holmes in, in North Little Rock that I've heard say it. If you can get a church to pray, you can get them to do anything. That's right. I want to tell you something that changed my way of thinking when it comes to prayer. I've told Brian that I hate doing this, but I want to refer back to a prior episode. We were with Pastor Jim and Jelaine Lumpkin. Mm-hmm. And she said something that has stuck with me, and I can't let go of it, Pastor. She said that there's going to be times in your life where you can't pray. You don't have the words to say. You feel like a failure, and you, you've went down these paths where you feel like, you know, you're done, you know. Yeah. And she says it's in those times that you can pull from those stocks in the clouds and the heavens yeah. that you've prayed. You say, you know, I'm relying on those prayers today to cover my life. That's right. And so there's not a day that goes by where I don't just put a little nugget of stock into prayer for my little girl or for my wife sure. or for our future. You know, that is so vitally important that you always make sure you have that stock that you can pull from whenever you don't have the drive or, or the effort and you don't know what to say. That's right. But I want to shift gears here, and I want to ask you a question. I've We've looked around your office quite a bit. I want to ask you a question. What is your passion? So on a spiritual level, I love people. I mean, I love people. And, um, and, and I talked about the, the connecting with people as they leave and and, and that's a true passion of mine. Um, I asked God as a teenager, I said, Lord, I've, I've come in contact with enough people who are shallow and they're not genuine. And then I, I also know many, many who are who are deep in what they believe. And I said, I want to be like that. I want to be real and I want to be consistent. And so when somebody meets me, Lord, help them to see and feel that there is there's something real there's some substance here and and so that's that's kind of always always been my prayer and um, with your passion being a passion for people that I want to ask you this how is it that a person who feels lost whether it's in an unsafe state or they're in a place of confusion how can they find direction? And even for that matter, what do we even mean when we say that a person is lost? I believe that 
the enemy works in many different ways. And one of the most powerful tools that he uses is deception. And he will convince them that their identity can be found in something that is contrary to the plan and the purpose of God for their life. And uh, when, when people decide to walk this path, it's, it's many times accompanied by bitterness. It's accompanied by hopelessness, fear. We talked about shame earlier. And I think when people find themselves in this state, they have that hopelessness wash over them and, and they've lost their way. They've forgotten who they are. And, and I, so I guess that's what I would describe as lost. And, and, and you see that in the prodigal son. Uh, he's convinced that, that he doesn't belong in dad's house anymore. He's got no place there. And so he's, he's looking for other places. That's why he feels this call to the far country. Um, so what can we do as a church? And, and some of the things that you've probably implemented here as far as church culture-wise, what can we do to better reach out to those that have lost their way? We talked about it a, a little bit earlier, but I believe in accountability. I believe you have got to have people in your life that have access to you no matter How where you're How many men at. do you have in your life you hold yourself accountable to? Oh, there are multiple that have access to, to ask any question they want. I couldn't even. I like that I answer. would say three or four. So um, I have three men in my life, yeah. and they have actually changed yeah. since I've grown older. You yeah. know, um, Frank Jordan's one for me. Sure. Tony McCall is one for me yeah. by, by a long shot. Mm -hmm. You know, those, I feel like it's important to have men that have knowledge, that have veto power in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you this, this example. Um, and like I said, uh, brother Brosom is, is a man that has impacted my life and he was actually here several years ago preaching and, and, uh, there's, there's, I'm not a big social media guy, but I, I do some things on Facebook and some other, uh, forums but there there was a um, <laughs> a forum uh that i was connected to just because someone invited me and i guess i bumped okay I'll, I'll be a part of it and it would show up on my feed every once in a while and it was during the time where a lot of churches were were leaving the organization and and, and it was just venom just pure venom and well if you're not careful you'll find yourself being entertained by that and I, I, I'm just—I feel like that's wrong. I, I feel like we should give no place to the enemy. And um, I didn't realize it. And I was headed to the uh, airport uh, after Brother Brosom had preached here, and I was telling him about this and and almost how entertaining it was. And and I, I just you know like why in the world are they are they saying these things about us? I don't understand. I found myself frustrated. It was a righteous anger. It wasn't wrong. It, it was a righteous anger. And he looked over at me and he said, John, you need to get off of that right now. You need to delete that. You don't need that venom and that poison being released into your life. And, um, and, and immediately, that's all he had to say. And I did it. That's what I'm talking about. It could be things like that. It could be moral uh, subjects that that could come up, and they have access to ask you those questions. That's fine. Whatever it has, to, you know, whatever it is, it's 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 a good thing. You need Bri it. Brian has taught me something that I like to that I like to hold my life to is talking about social media. Yeah, about unfriending and unfollowing. Brian, share with Pastor Ice in that. 
I, I said that that uh, the best button on Facebook is the unfollow button because the unfollow button means we can still be friends, but I don't have to go in the same direction you're going. Right. And, and rather than just deleting people totally off, I tend to use the unfollow. Yeah. There's still a connection there. Absolutely. They, I believe that even when they unfollow, they can still see what I post. Sure. But I don't have to go in the same direction and, and have my spirit entertained by the things they've got going on right. in their world. Right. I like it. Pastor Eisen, Brian, and I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. You take through text messages today, you told me how busy you were, and we don't take it lightly that you're able to spend some time with us. Honored to do um, I do want to get a couple of things uh, from you real quick. Uh, some recommended reading. Uh, Brian and I smiled when you told us what it was. Tell, tell our listeners what it is. <laughs> oh, I, I love Tale of Three Kings. And um, read it, yeah, but... But if you've read it several times, it, it'll impact your life. But I challenge you to go and download it and uh, the audiobook version and, and listen to it. Uh, I challenge you, you to buy it and highlight it and underline it and follow up with Scripture. Let me tell you, Brother Eisen, I, after I read that book, now I'm going to be transparent here. After I read that book, I went to my pastor and I apologized to him. Yeah for the way I saw him through my eyes. Yeah. He's been a shepherd in my life. Um, he's my spiritual leader, but it wasn't until I read that book that I realized I've been, I've been looking at leadership the wrong way my whole life. And I please guys, listen to me, everybody that's out there. You have heard three, four, five men say, tale of three Kings, tale of three Kings, do yourself a favor and start listening. Go out and get this book, please. All right, Pastor, give us a final word. What's on your heart? What's been your heartbeat lately? I just want to encourage you to love people, to be genuine, to be real, uh, consistent. Um, there's a way that you can reach out to this lost world, and that is through love. Love will always win the day. And, and here's what I know. Uh, there will be a moment of revelation in whoever's life that is struggling in a dark place when god will break through the light will shine and when they walk th back through the doors of the church there needs to be a smiling face loving them helping them dusting their back off and putting them back on the good road not not being judgmental not criticizing them love them love them i watched this in my own life God can do it in my family. He can do it in yours. Amen. Whenever we say here the crucial conversation, here's the final word. That really doesn't ever mean anything. It's kind of like that. Okay, I'm just got five more minutes. Musicians come. <laughs> I, I, there are several preachers that I can name right now that musicians come means here's part two. <laughs> but, but but I I just uh, want to make sure that because we've had such a powerful and impactful conversation. Is there anything that you've been feeling today in prayer that that we may have sent in a question form that we didn't that, that you really want to make sure that you keyed in on that you were feeling in your spirit leading into this uh, that maybe we missed or uh, or we were going in that direction because I know like there was an instance early on when you talked about uh, I can't remember if you said it was a grandfather and you said well, maybe we could get back into that later I just want to I don't want to leave anything on the, anything off on the, the table. table no absolutely nothing is coming to mind. I, I just want to encourage everybody. 
Um, and, and, and I do want to say that I, I respect Brother Tony for his courage and sharing part of his testimony here uh, with us on this broadcast. And it takes a lot of uh, yes. courage and faith in God to do that. And, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to touch lives because of what you shared. And uh, it's going to make an impact on you don't even know how many people. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And w- while we're wrapping up, Brian, I'll throw it to you here in a second. But I want to say once again, Pastor, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Brian, I don't know about you, but I feel fresh. I feel a renewed anointing after this conversation. And Pastor Eisen, whatever you do, don't ever lose your passion for people. Uh, as I sit across the table and look at you, and I've seen you wipe your eyes many times, I just know that your passion is real. And to those who don't have a man like Pastor Eisen in your life, please, I encourage you, I beg you, go find an apostolic church, find you the truth, connect with the man of God. But here's the thing, don't just connect, just receive as well. Brian, what's on your thoughts? It's real. The cloud that he saw early on that Pastor Eisen talked about, it was real. The calling he felt in his life at an early age, it was real. We talked about spiritual attacks, and they are real. We talked about having ministries in your life that hold you accountable. They are really important. The things that we've talked about on this conversation are real. And we want everyone out there to know that you're facing situations that are real. And there is a real answer. Shut the door that's been opened in your life. Get under that covering of anointing in your life. Guard your ministry, heart, and family. And what you will see happen in your life is a revival that is very real. Because we walked out on this campus tonight and we stepped into a frame that is becoming a new church because of something real that happened in one man's life, that whenever the enemy showed up, though that attack was real, he had a connection with a God who was there. Thank you for listening to The Crucial Conversation.